The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south winds blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of our Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations in our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. I have come to bring fire, Jesus said. And how I wish it were already kindled. Do you think I come to bring peace? No, I tell you. I come to bring division. I mean, you got to admit it is a pulpit-pounding text, is it not, this morning? A few years ago, actually, at my last congregation, I began a sermon somewhat similarly pounding on the pulpit. And after my sermon, Dolores Sam came up to me. Dolores was about 80 years old at the time, a retired kindergarten teacher. And she had the bat, like, that was her through and through. Part mother, part teacher, kind and compassionate beyond words. And she said this to me. Pastor Joanna, when you started your sermon this morning, it brought me back to my childhood. That's what it felt like to go to church when I was a kid with the pastor pounding on the pulpit and telling me everything I had done wrong and yelling at me. I'm so thankful that I don't have to hear that anymore. I'm so thankful that week after week I get to come to church and hear instead about how I am loved and how I am forgiven. And can we never do that again? <laughs> Sorry, Dolores. But I don't think we should go back to those days of pulpit pounding and finger pointing and instead take a better look at ourselves. Our scripture this morning is a passionate text, and Jesus is fired up. He is intense in what he is talking about, and he does not mince words. And it's hard to understand. I'll confess, I went into Pastor Scott's office on Tuesday and said, we've got to talk about this text. I don't know what to do with it. And so we talked. In order to understand it, I think we need a little bit of context first. What's Jesus doing? Who is he talking to? And what's happening? Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem at this point in his ministry. He has set his face in the Gospel of Luke towards Jerusalem, and he is walking there. And in Jerusalem, he will encounter suffering, betrayal, denial, and death. 
And Jesus is choosing to walk to this place slowly and encountering a lot of people along the way. But everywhere he goes, Jesus does one thing. He announces that the kingdom of God is here. And he does it in different ways by preaching parables and telling stories and eating with people. And depending on who you are, the kingdom of God sounds very different. When Jesus sits down and eats with people who are considered sinners and outcasts, when he preaches the kingdom of God, it sounds like the most wonderful thing in the world. Butterflies and rainbows, you are loved, you are accepted, you are needed here. It sounds altogether different when Jesus sits down with the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers, people who are at the center of life and culture. Suddenly the kingdom of God doesn't sound as warm and fuzzy, but actually kind of harsh and difficult. Because what Jesus is telling to those individuals is that in the kingdom of God, you don't matter as much as you think. In the kingdom of God, your very way of life is going to be turned over. In the kingdom of God, you've got to look differently and you've got to act differently than you get to most of the time. Because in the kingdom of God, justice rules over everything. In the kingdom of God, God is not impressed by the titles that you have or the people that you know. But instead, God cares about how you treat the poor and the vulnerable. In the kingdom of God, you don't get to sit back and relax and feel comfortable, but you are pushed to the very edges of society in order to welcome people in. And in the kingdom of God, those rituals and traditions that you think are more important than anything might be burned up in order to help welcome others in. The kingdom of God challenges our very way of life because it is so radical in wanting to reach out to all people and making sure everyone's voice is heard and every person is included in God's love. The kingdom of God is disruptive and it's divisive. If you are going to follow Jesus, things are going to look different in your family life. You're going to suddenly confront mom and dad with new ideas that they have treasured for years and say, no, I think we got to do things a different way. You're going to challenge your friends and the powers that be by pushing over boundaries that exist and moving out of safe zones, cultural circles, circles that you feel safe and secure in, and you're going to go into new territories and talk to people of different cultures, different religions, and recognize that they have important merits and that they too are included in this place and in this population. And that's exactly what happened in the Christian faith. People, indeed, who followed Jesus disrupted their families. They made life difficult. There's a reason that many of them were killed. The culture at change that they proclaimed was one people didn't like. Because who wants their life disruptive and for their families to be divided? Not me. And yet, that's what happened. When I read this text today, however, I look at the our world sits in a different place, and yet we still face similar challenges, right? 
Those cultural norms that the people battled at that time were not very different from the cultural norms that we have today, where money, prestige, and power rule the day. And most of us are pretty glad when we get to be comfortable. There are still people living on the edges of society, people who are marginalized, people who are outcast, people who are not welcomed. However, in our day and age, Christianity has become the cultural norm. We went from being the people who followed Jesus uh, into being, (laughs) being people of radical welcome and living on the edge to being the people who are in charge. The followers of Jesus went from being the rule breakers to the rule makers. And we went from being the people who welcomed others in outrageous hospitality to the people who more often than not feel pretty safe in our own circles. But once again, our households are divided over Jesus, but it's happening in a different way than it had before. God is continuing to disrupt our families, but in this way, because our families, we have members who are choosing to no longer follow in the Christian faith and perhaps are walking away from following Jesus in their life. I hear this often, and I know this to be true, that our children who are raised in our homes and taught the Christian faith, the faith into which we were baptized, the faith into which they were baptized, will sometimes come home and say, I'm not going to continue to practice that faith anymore, but I'm going a different way. And I know it grieves you, and it grieves me, and I think it grieves all of us together. And I can't help but wonder if perhaps as we look at the division that occurs when it comes to practicing our faith or following Jesus, if perhaps this is one of those signs that Jesus is telling us to pay attention to, to listen to, and to perhaps look at our faith in a new and a different way. Last week, Pastor Scott Bryan and I went to a conference entitled Rethinking Church. Yes, we have to rethink everything. No, don't worry. (laughs) One staggering statistic that was shared was this. In the state of Minnesota, just Minnesota, Since the conception of the ELCA in 1988, worship attendance has declined by 400,000 people. 400,000 people. In the ELCA, we have declined that much in the people traditionally attending worship. Nationwide, there has been a 42% decline in the Lutheran Church, the ELCA, that is. 42%. Now, those are signs I think we need to pay attention to, listen to, and wonder what's happening there. One of the presenters that I really appreciated was a woman by the name of Elizabeth Desher. She lives out in California, and she listened to those statistics and saw those, and so she decided to do something. She wanted to understand the why behind that decline in our church. So she spent three years going from Maine to Maui talking to people who consider themselves not religiously affiliated. In other words, the nuns. I've talked about them here before. These are people who say, nope, I don't belong to any faith, tradition. And she wanted to talk to them about their spirituality, 
about things that gave them life and to hear their stories. And what she discovered was so many of them were hungry to talk about these things. She said sometimes she would sit down and have an interview that would last like three hours as people talked about their own spiritual life. And she discovered this, that the nuns are not very different from the sums. The sums are people like you and me, who we would check the box that says Christian or Lutheran. We are religiously affiliated. In fact, the nuns pray almost the same percentage as we do. The nuns believe in some sort of higher power for the most part. The nuns worship, although slightly lower percentage than the Psalms, but they're a little bit more honest about their worship attendance. (laughs) The nuns are spiritually connected, and the ways they find the most spiritual meaning is when they are with family and friends, having food, and with Fido, their dog. And the truth is, that's the exact same thing that we find our greatest spiritual connections over. But she heard this critique. The nuns said this, that they didn't like the sameness or the narrowness of the faith. And one person she quoted said this, There's something about selecting one religion, one path in the narrow way that I was brought up in that seems so wrong and so unhelpful. The world is filled with wisdom. Human history is filled with wisdom. Why would I want to close myself off to that? But then she noted that many of the Psalms actually think the same thing, that there is truth to be found in other religions and we need to listen to people of different faiths and be in relationship with them and that we're not that different from one another. I bring all this up not to depress you, but because I do think that these are the signs that are happening in our world today that are calling out to us to pay attention to. I bring this up because I can't help but wonder if that fire that Jesus was saying he was setting was in order to burn up some of the traditions of our past and to allow new life to sprout up in its place for us to evaluate again who we are as people of faith and to go back to being those people who upset the culture in order to follow Jesus, who recognize that our job is to go out into the world proclaiming the kingdom of God and instead of being comfortable, willing to walk to the edges in order to be welcoming. See, because the truth of the gospel is this, it is radical in its hospitality in saying, you all are loved. But we don't get to rest in the love and assurance for us. Instead, we need to keep spreading it and welcoming and pushing over those same boundaries. We need to set fire to those traditions that push people out and allow God to do what God does best. Take something that is dying and bring it back to life. And that is a faith that I rest in and hope for and look to. Amen.